This podcast is from the Rand Corporation, a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more Rand analysis, reports, and commentary on issues at the forefront of today's policy debate, visit www.rand.org. Good morning. Uh, today's uh, briefing is being recorded. A video will be available online at www.rand.org. Or you can listen to today's discussion by subscribing to RAND's Congressional Briefing Series podcast on iTunes. Uh, welcome to this RAND Congressional Briefing. I'm Wynne Burkle, and I head up RAND's corporate, Grand Corporation's Office of Congressional Relations here in Washington, D.C. Let me just take a moment to tell you briefly about RAND. The RAND Corporation is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. RAND focuses on the issues that matter most, such as health, education, national security, international affairs, law and business, the environment, and more. As a nonpartisan organization, RAND operates independent of political and commercial pressures. We serve the public interest by helping lawmakers reach informed decisions on the nation's most pressing challenges. RAND disseminates its findings and recommendations as widely as possible to benefit the public good. More than 10,000 RAND reports, including the one you'll hear about today, uh, and the commentary are available online, again, at www.rand.org. Uh, let me just take a moment to tell you about our presenter today. Today you will hear from uh, Jerry Ryan, one of the authors of the report. Uh, Jerry is a senior behavioral scientist at the RAND Corporation who's done extensive field work in Africa, Latin America, the Middle East, and the United States. Trained as a medical anthropologist, Ryan has conducted research on decision-making processes, ethnographies of healthcare, integration of qualitative and quantitative methodologies, as a methodologist, uh, Ryan specializes in applying systemic methods to qualitative research and designing tools for formative, process, and summative evaluations. Um, uh, Ryan has also conducted a, a multi-country process evaluation of how healthcare organizations in Africa deliver HIV-AIDS treatment and how they might overcome the many barriers associated with scaling up such programs. Uh, he's also involved in a capacity building project in Uganda to train social scientists to conduct HIV AIDS research. Uh, uh, Dr. Ryan received his PhD in cultural anthropology from the University of Florida. Um, I want to mention that also with us today for the question and answer period that will follow the formal presentation uh, will be the report's principal author, Sebastian Linnemeyer. Uh, Sebastian is an associate economist at the RAND Corporation. Uh, after having finished his position as a postdoctoral research fellow at the Harvard School of Public Health, his dissertation evaluated a large-scale randomized nutrition intervention as part of a World Bank project and investigated the impact of HIV on consumption behavior in South Africa. Um, he received his PhD in economics from the Université de la Méditerranée, his MPhil in economics from Oxford University. Uh, the RAND study that you'll hear about today, which, by the way, was sponsored by the AIDS Healthcare Foundation, of which we have representatives in the room today, closely analyzed current global HIV funding in order to come up with valuable and innovative options for policymakers who are faced with the monumental challenge of meeting increasing global HIV needs under the flat budgets we are facing today. So with that, let me turn it over to Gary uh, to talk to you about findings and recommendations. Thank you. Welcome. I'm pleased here to present our study, The uh, Value for Money and Donor Funding of Global Programs. I'd like to uh, acknowledge uh, Sebastian, uh, who's the lead economist on, on this project, as well as uh, Jenny Liu and uh, Kartika Pala, who were not able to be here today. I'd also like to thank uh, AHF for their support. AHF is one of the, the, the largest provider of HIV care uh, in the United States. 
So what this is about, this is about thinking through how do we provide more services for people who are living with AIDS or are affected by HIV in developing countries in a climate when fundamentally what we have is flat or declining budgets. Okay, so why is this important? Well, for two reasons. There's two trends going on. One, number of people living with HIV AIDS is increasing. It's been increasing for a long time and it continues. Right now, this represents the number of people that are living in low-income countries, about 33 million. The other trend that we're interested in is the global funding. Global funding has been increasing and has increased significantly over time, but has all of a sudden started to flatline and in some cases decrease. If this trend continues, we are going to have a gap. That's the issue of what are we going to do. It's worse. It's not just that the budgets are flatlining. We're currently not providing all the care that we need to the people who actually need the care. All right. So using 2008 numbers, only 23% of the people needing antiretrovirals are actually getting ART in these low-income countries. This has increased. It's nowhere close to what it needs to be. Okay. Second problem. Countries in need of HIV services are all these low incomes. They are highly dependent upon donors and funders. We know that. What this does is it fundamentally focuses what we're talking about on the donors. We have to pay attention to what the donors are doing because they're so critical in this process. So how are we going to deal with the gap? Basically, there are four options available to us. One, we can increase funds. I'd love it. I'd like to see it. Highly unlikely. Two, we can continue on. Continue on with the trends that we're seeing, and what we're going to end up doing is rationing care. People are going to die. Basically, we see this as ethically indefensible. Option one and two are gone. What we're really talking about is the only logical way to deal with this gap is to improve and do more with what we already have. <clears throat> that essentially is improving efficiency. Now, there's two ways to improve efficiency. One way is by switching how we're allocating resources. What are we paying for? What activities? What we want to do in this case is we want to identify activities where we get high payoffs and put most of our resources in those. All right? Now, there's two ways to do that. One way to do it is to shift moving resources, therefore activities and things that we're doing direct of, between direct services. Now, what do we mean by direct services? Direct services are all those things that in programs that sort of reach out and touch people living or affected by HIV. These are things like prevention programs, testing programs, care programs, treatment programs, programs for orphans and vulnerable children. Right? Now, we've been talking about this for a long time. In the AIDS, HIV community, we talk about whether or not should we put more money into prevention 
or should we put more money into treatment? Well understood. What is less understood and rarely talked about is the other trade-off, which is the movement between direct services and indirect services. In this case, indirect services are all those programs where we put, in, we put funds and resources into activities that don't directly touch H people living with HIV. All right? These are things like capacity building, technical assistance, and uh, health system strengthening. All right? Now, what's really going on here is they're not, it's not so much whether or not they touch patients, it's what we're talking about is the direct services are basically for now. Indirect services we're investing in the future. All right? And so there's your trade-off. The fourth option is simply we don't care how you allocate the resources. Everything we do needs to be more efficient. So let's think through this for a minute. What we're going to do is we started off by asking a relatively, what we thought was a relatively simple question. How can HIV services be pro pro provided efficiently to people in need? Okay. Now, to answer this question, it's kind of obvious. The first thing you need to know is how are the funds currently allocated? In other words, what are we buying? What are we spending our money on and what type of activities? Two, what outcomes do they achieve? So what's, what do we get out of this? Essentially what we're talking about is what is the bang for the buck? Okay. Now, it's critical to answer this question that those, that information is actually linked. Right? So off we go thinking this is a relatively simple task. And what we do is we do, there are publicly available cost data. We can figure out what people are spending. We can figure out how the funders are, uh, what they're spending in some of the outcomes. But what we find when we actually look at the data is those cost and outcome data are not linked. All right, fundamental problem. Other problem we run into is that a lot of the outcome data, what, what are we actually getting out of the indirect services are not there either. We don't know what the payoff is. So what we're really talking about is looking at the two biggest funders and how they're spending money and what are we getting at it. What is the efficiency and how is efficiency operationalized in a sense in PEPFAR? President's Emergency Fund for uh, AIDS Relief in the Global Fund. Right? So what we're going to talk about today is I'm just going to, for simplicity's sake and brevity, I'm going to just look at what happens with PEPFAR. So the first thing we did is we went off and looked at how has PEPFAR, PEPFAR spent its money and what is it allocated to. So we're using 2010 data that, we, that is available. And what I want to point out is this is a very big chunk, about 30% of activities are not going to direct services. Right? This was sort of surprising to us. Right? Second thing we looked at is, oh, the, in addition to that, that 30% is actually larger than the 28% that actually goes to treatment. The next thing we looked at was where are we spending the money? So we followed, in a sense, we followed the money. 2010, the PEPFAR uh, had $4.7 billion they started off with. Right off the bat, 
The money moves from PEPFAR to country level, and then from the country level down to programs, right off the bat, roughly a billion dollars is controlled by headquarters and is used for the cost of doing business. When you take off, once the money gets into country, if you take off the other 550 million that countries use for indirect services, essentially what you're left over with is 67%, two-thirds, what we started off with, that are available for actually contracting for service providers. So, what does this mean? We've just talked about how you allocate. And the challenge here is how do you allocate across indirect and direct services? One of the things you're going to have to do is you're going to have to set very clear priorities. You need to know where you're going in order to sort of get there. We found it was rather fuzzy what the priorities were. And this is going to cause some problems. If we want to actually decide how to allocate to the places where we get the most payoff, then we need to know where we're going and we need to have some understanding of what we're getting out of that. Right? We need to know what the trade-off is between providing services now for people living with HIV versus trade-offs for investing into the future. Currently, we can't do that. We don't have the information about what the real outcomes are for those indirect services. Major problem. Okay. Now, let's switch to option four. Regardless of how you actually allocate your money, one of the things you want to look at is how do I improve efficiency just in general? Everything we do should be more efficient over time. If we're going to address that gap, this is going to have to happen. Again, run into the same type of problem. If I don't have the ability to identify and link what I'm spending for and what I'm getting out of it, if those aren't linked, I can't track how efficient I'm getting over time. All right? And this is critical. I need to compare whether or not I'm doing better and I'm moving towards a benchmark, something the best practice. I need to compare whether or not I'm doing better than other organizations. I'm doing whether one contractor is doing better than another contractor in providing services. And I need to compare, most importantly, over time. Are we getting more and more efficient over time? So this should not be earth-shattering. Clearly, PEPFAR recognizes it. Ambassador Goosby, in a recent article, basically said programs must demonstrate value and impact to be prioritized within complex resource-constrained environments. We totally agree. We're all on the same page here. However, if Ambassador Goosby and the authors believe that efficiency has to be just in that little green triangle, the 67%, we're in disagreement. Efficiency has got to run up and down the entire system. Right? Efficiency, it sounds sort of wonky. What are you going to buy with efficiency? Well, efficiency is extremely powerful. Let's just take three hypothetical scenarios. Take the example where 
we take a 25% reduction in indirect services. Out of that 30% piece of pie, we'll whack off 25% and we'll move it over into treatment. If we do that, theoretically, we should be able to treat 400,000 more people. Okay? Do another activity. Let's just hypothetically think that if we took 25% of the money that's being allocated towards prevention and moved it into treatment, theoretically, we could actually provide treatment for 500,000. And then let's go to the efficiency of just making treatment itself more efficient. You know, some people have suggested that an efficient target should be $460 per year per person who are on treatment, who are on ART. Right now our calculation is that roughly $585 is being spent by PEPFAR per person. All right? If we reduce, that's about a 20% reduction, 20% more efficient, we're talking about theoretically being able to put on 600,000 more people on care. Now, President Obama in the last couple of weeks has set a very high target, 6 million people he'd like to have on care. This is the stuff that's going to get us there, piece by piece in efficiency. So, to sum, we got to figure out better ways to become more efficient. Okay? Now, all we're doing here in this report is laying out the mechanisms by which you can get there. And we're going to have to think really carefully on how do we switch and allocate resources. As new information becomes available, we are going to move and we realize that maybe, for example, treatment is partly prevention. Okay? We should be thinking about reallocating resources. We also have to think about just basically reducing the cost of delivering all services regardless. Now, what's really important here is, and what's not being done, is you can't do this unless we put in a system for measuring cost and outcomes. That system must be linked. You must be able to go in and look at that information and actually understand what you are getting for what you're putting in. All right? If that's not there, and if the measurements for what we're getting for indirect services are not there, we can't make really informed decisions. All right? Second thing that's critical here is we have to shift our focus to making efficiency the central thing that we are shooting for in terms of funding. Improving efficiency is going to drive our ability to actually provide more services when we don't have a lot of resources. Right? That focus point has got to be at every single level. We have to look and contract with people, with contractors who can show and demonstrate efficiency. They can show that they become more and more efficient over time. We want to make sure and push countries to show that they are getting more bang for their buck that is coming in. And most importantly, we have to do efficiency at the organizational level. PEPFAR, the Global Fund, has got to concentrate on how do we as an organization, that upper 30%, that executive component, how do we make that component more efficient? All right. Basically, if we're going to address the gap, the gap that is probably inevitable, it's going to grow, 
we're going to have to get really smart very, very quickly about how to do this. And I think we can. I think the evidence is there. We've seen the payouts. It's possible. We're just going to have to be creative about it. Thank you. This presentation is provided as a public service by the RAND Corporation. Visit www.rand.org to learn more about these issues and to explore RAND's free online library of more than 10,000 policy reports and commentaries.